Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. Dark Travels hostess. And tonight we have a Serial Killers with Sierra. Yeah. Episode. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? I am fantastic. How are you? Um, I'm all right. Yeah. Been dog sitting, so it's a, oh, yeah. it's a little hard going back and forth between the two houses. <laughs> Speaking of dogs. <laughs> For sure, then we've had wild weather absolutely storm after storm after storm rain snow i mean i mean we need it correct desperately need it i just keep trying to tell myself kayaking will be nice (laughs) kayaking will be nice (laughs) (laughs) but uh we got a little one of those like plug-in snow blowers now right so nice so much more convenient oh my god it's so much better than traveling yes yes i believe (laughs) it yes So, tonight we're going to talk about a gentleman that Sierra has literally, since we we started talking about her coming on to the show, this was her main guy. Well, you should see the look on her face. I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) This is her guy. This is my all-time favorite serial killer of all time. Okay, so who are we talking about? We are talking about Mr. Albert Fish. Okay. He is also known as the Werewolf of Hysteria, the Gray Man, the Moon Maniac, the Boogeyman, or the Brooklyn Vampire. Brooklyn? Yeah. So, are we talking New York? Yep. Okay. That was his main stomping grounds. And by stomping, you really mean stomping? Yeah. Okay. Alrighty. November 1934. An anonymous letter was sent to a Mrs. Delia Flanagan Budd. Mother to 10-year-old Grace Bud. Mrs. Bud was illiterate and could not read the letter. Thus, she had her son read it to her. Oh, no. And the letter goes as follows. My dear Mrs. Bud, in 1894, a friend of mine shipped as a deckhand on the steamer Tacoma, Captain John Davis. They sailed from San Francisco to Hong Kong, China. On arriving there, he and two others went ashore and got drunk. When they returned, the boat was gone. At that time, there was a famine in China. Meat of any kind was from one to three dollars a pound. So great was the suffering among the very poor that all children under twelve were sold to the butchers to be cut up and sold for food in order to keep others from starving. A boy or girl under fourteen was not safe in the street. You could go in any shop and ask for steak, chops, or stew meat. Part of the naked body of a boy or girl would be brought out and just what you wanted cut from it. A boy or girl's behind, which is the sweetest part of the body, and sold his veal cutlet, brought the highest price. John stayed there so long he acquired a taste for human flesh. I'm sorry, this is China, right? Yeah. Jesus Christ, okay. On his return to New York, 
He stole two boys, one seven, one eleven. Took them to his home, stripped them naked, tied them in a closet, then burned everything they had on. Several times every day and night, he spanked them, tortured them, to make their meat good and tender. First he killed the eleven-year-old boy, because he had the fattest ass and, of course, the most meat on it. Every part of his body was cooked and eaten except head, bones, and guts. He was roasted in the oven, all of his ass, boiled, broiled, fried, and stewed. The little boy was next, went the same way. At the time, I was living at 409 East 100th Street, right rear side. He told me so often how good human flesh was, I made up my mind to taste it. On Sunday, June the 3rd, 1928, I called on you at 406 West 15th Street. Brought you pot cheese strawberries. We had lunch. Grace sat on my lap and kissed me. I made up my mind to eat her. On the pretense of taking her to a party, you said yes, she could go. I took her to an empty house in Winchester I had already picked out. When we got there, I told her to remain outside. She picked wildflowers. I went upstairs and stripped all of my clothes off. I knew if I did not, I would get her blood on them. When all was ready, I went to the window and called her. When she saw me all naked, she began to cry and tried to run downstairs. I grabbed her, and she said she would tell her mama. First, I stripped her naked. How she did kick, bite, and scratch. I choked her to death, then cut her in small pieces so I could take my meat to my rooms, cook, and eat it. How sweet and tender her little ass was, roasted in the oven. It took me nine days to eat her entire body. I did not fuck her, though. I could have had I wished. She died a virgin. Jesus fucking Christ. That's 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 less than six minutes, folks. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> this episode's going to be a doozy. Okay. All right. So now we're going to get into a little bit of background for Mr. Albert Fish. Hamilton Howard Fish was born in Washington, D.C. on May 19th, 1870, to Randall and Ellen Fish. Randall was American of English ancestry, and Ellen was Scots-Irish-American. His father was 43 years older than his mother, and was 75 at the time of his birth. Oh my god. Yeah. That's disgusting. That's too much of an age gap. Yes! <laughs> so she was 32? Yeah. Math is hard for me, so okay. let's go with that. <laughs> but this raunchy-ass, nasty man. Mm -hmm. Fish was the youngest child, and had three living siblings. Walter, Annie, and Edwin. Hamilton wished to be known as Albert after a dead sibling and to escape the nickname Ham and Eggs that he was given at an orphanage in which he spent much of his childhood. So they gave him away? They gave him up for adoption? I'll get into that. His family had a long history of mental illness. His uncle had mania, one of his brothers was confined to a saint mental hospital, and his sister Annie was diagnosed with a mental affliction. Three other relatives were also diagnosed with mental illnesses, and his mother had auditorial and or visual hallucinations. You know, one of the things that's been very obvious is hard alcohol will cause mental illnesses. Mm -hmm. Not that we have better standards of food here, but, you know, mercury in the food or oh yeah, things of that nature being found in the food mm -hmm. can cause a lot of problems. Yeah. But... Was this like a hereditary scenario, or do we know why or how this so they, family... They never really got into like any, like from what I could find anyway. Um, like no kind of like kind of research, like genetic-wise. Of course, okay. you know, this is also, you know, back in 1870, so... Right, and again, uh, just drinking really bad or poorly made alcohol mm -hmm. 
will fuck you up in the brain. Oh, yeah. Well, nothing was regulated back then. Correct. So. And, and to that, I mean, everybody remember, it oh, was yeah. Al Capone that got milk dates, you know, drink by dates. Yeah. Because his uncle got sick. Yeah. So it took a gangster to get shit done. I right. mean, that's how. Messed up it all was. Correct. <laughs> Fish's father, a fertilizer manufacturer, suffered a fatal heart attack at the Baltimore and Potomac Railroad Station in 1875. Wait, wait, wait. He was working? Yeah. At 75? Yeah. You didn't retire back then. You just worked until you died. Well, they didn't have Social Security. No. So, so you just worked until you literally, died? Literally, yes. <laughs> Fish's mother then put her son into St. John's Orphanage in Washington, where he was frequently physically abused. By abused? Do we mean sexually? Both physically okay. and sexually. Fish began to enjoy the physical pain that the beating brought. I wonder if that's because he kind of maybe checked out. Probably. Okay. Or probably had, you know, some undiagnosed mental something because his whole family did. Right. By 1880, Fish's mother secured a government job and was able to remove Fish from the orphanage. In 1882, at the age of 12, he began a relationship with a telegraph boy. He began visiting public baths where he could watch other boys undress, spending a great portion of his weekends on these visits. Throughout his life, he would write obscene letters to women whose names he acquired from classified advertising and matrimonial agencies. So he scoured the newspaper to harass women? Yeah, just to harass them. They, I mean, they still fucking do that today. Well, oh, absolutely. All right. So we're going to skip ahead a little bit. To 1890, early adulthood and criminal activities. By 1890, at 20, Fish moved to New York City. There he engaged in male prostitution and began molesting and raping boys, mostly younger than six. Jesus Christ. This dude is a monster. Yes, but where are these children's parents? Well, it's back in the day. Nobody gave a shit. They just let their kids run everywhere. No. Remember our letter at the beginning? The mom let her 10-year-old daughter just go with this random dude. Yes. In 1898, Fish's mother arranged a marriage for him with Anna Mary Hoffman, who was nine years his junior. Arranged? An arranged marriage. Probably because she knew her kid was gay and he wouldn't... Right. Yeah. Can't create heirs if you're banging the same gender as you. Uh, okay. <laughs> just saying. They had six children, Albert, Anna, Gertrude, Eugene, John, and Henry. Those are like the most like 1990 or like 1900s names of all time. Just old people names. Okay. <laughs> He's a fucking monster, but she's judging the name, folks. <laughs> In 1903, he was arrested for grand larceny, convicted and incarcerated in Sing Sing Prison. Fish later recounted an incident in which a male lover took him to a wax museum where he was fascinated by a bisection of a human penis and subsequently became obsessed with sexual mutilation. Okay. Several years later, around 1910, Fish was working in Wilmington, Delaware, when he met 19-year-old Thomas Kedden. Where's his wife? Back home with the kids. Okay. He took Kedden to where he was staying and the two began a sadomasochistic relationship. It is unclear whether or not Fish forced Kedden to do these things, but his confession implies that Kedden was intellectually disabled. Aww. Mm-hmm. 
After ten days, Fish took Cannon to an old farmhouse, where he tortured him over a period of two weeks. Jesus Christ, who has this kind of time on their fucking hands? I I mean, on top of the, the disgusting and just inhumane inhumanity of the scenario. Correct. But on top of that, I, there's no PTO back in 1910. Fact, <laughs> the world's actually kind of gearing up for World War One at this point in time. Yeah. Mm. Fish eventually tied Kenan up and cut off half of his penis. <laughs> Your face. <laughs> okay. I shall never forget his scream. Or the look he gave me, Fish later recalled. He originally intended to kill Kedden, cut up his body, and take it home, but he feared the hot weather would draw attention to him. Instead, Fish poured peroxide over the wound, wrapped it in a Vaseline-covered handkerchief, left a $10 bill, kissed Kedden goodbye, and left. That's his penis he took with him. He didn't take the penis, he just... He wrapped the wound in a Vaseline-covered handkerchief and poured peroxide over it and gave him a $10 bill. (laughs) See you later, homeboy. Just <laughs> Fish later recalled, I took the first train I could get back home. Never heard what became of him or tried to find out. What a disgusting creature. Oh, absolutely. That's kind of why I'm so interested in this guy. Well, how did he find Kevin in the first place? Just met him while he was off working. <laughs> this, You know, this is the overall thing that I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Good women who have their life together can't find a decent fucking man, but serial killers (laughs) not only have the time off from work, can find all these victims. Oh, yeah. You know, these poor unfortunate souls. And this 19-year-old, you know, was missing for two weeks while he was getting tortured. And nobody was looking for him. And nobody looked for him. Yeah, just nobody looked for him. That is so sad. And, and I mean, obviously, these are the best victims. And this is probably the type of victim that they seek out anyways. Oh, yeah. The ones who will, their absence will go unnoticed. Absolutely. Which is most unfortunate. Mm-hmm. In January of 1917, Anna left him for John Straub, a handyman who boarded with the Fish family. Fish then had to raise his children as a single parent. After his arrest, Fish told the newspaper that when his wife left him, she took nearly every possession that the family owned. Fish soon began to have auditory hallucinations. He once wrapped himself in a carpet, saying that he was following the instructions of John the Apostle. So he's having mommy's problems. He's having all kinds of problems. He began to indulge in self-harm by embedding needles into his groin and abdomen. This is this is such absurd stupid I I I don't have the words. So. <laughs> I mean self-mutilation. I mean that is a sick motherfucker right there. Oh yeah. I mean people cut themselves yeah. because they have anxieties mm-hmm. and or other issues. Oh yeah. But this is different. Oh yeah. Completely. Later x-rays would reveal at least 29 needles lodged in his pelvic region. Oh my god. He also hit himself repeatedly with a nail-studded paddle and inserted wool doused with lighter fluid into his anus and set it on fire. So he literally lit his own ass on fire. Correct. Okay. 
there is something so beyond with this fucking guy. Oh yeah. See, that's why I'm so interested. I I I want to know what made his brain tick. While Fish isn't known to have physically abused his children, he did encourage them and their friends to beat him with a nail-studded paddle. Oh, so he had a, some sort of line? He actually turned it into a game. So he would stay on his hands and knees, and he would have one kid sit on his back. And the kid would have to hold up however many fingers, and Fish would attempt to guess how many fingers the kid was holding up. And nine times out of ten, when he got it wrong... Another kid would have to hit him with a paddle however many fingers the kid was holding up that many times. This is not a normal game you play with your children. Not well, This is not a normal man. Correct. He, he, this, this, this unhinged and unbalanced individual. Do you know, and of course I'm kind of veering here, did the children develop problems down the line? Luckily, not too many of them, which is good. I know that one of his children actually at his trial testified against him. Okay. And she was the only one. Okay. All right. Now we're going to get into some escalation. You thought it was bad before? It's about to get worse. (laughs) Around 1919, Fish stabbed an intellectually disabled boy in Georgetown. Another innocent victim that he probably targeted. Oh, absolutely. Knowing full well. Yep. He chose people who were either mentally disabled or African-American as his victims, later explaining that he assumed those people would not be missed. Would later claim to have occasionally paid boys to procure other children for him. Fish tortured, mutilated, and murdered young children with his implements of hell, a meat cleaver, a butcher knife, and a small handsaw. Now, where did he do these horrific things at? Oh, all over the place, out in the woods, in alleyways. Seriously, where the fuck did they get the time? I don't know. And it's not like he's living off of welfare to feed the kids when he's not at work. July 11th, 1924. Fish found eight-year-old Beatrice Kell playing alone on her parents' farm on Staten Island, New York. He offered her money to come and help him look for rhubarb. She was about to leave the farm when her mother chased Fish away. Fish left, but later returned to the barn where he tried to sleep, but was discovered by Beatrice's father and forced to leave. Three days later, Fish killed Francis McDonald, also on Staten Island. During 1924, the 54-year-old Fish, suffering from psychosis, felt that God was commanding him to torture and sexually mutilate children. Fish attempted to test his implements of hell on a child he had been molesting named Cyril Quinn. Quinn and his friend were playing Foursquare on a sidewalk when Fish asked them if they had eaten lunch. When they said they had not, he invited them into his apartment for sandwiches. While the two boys were wrestling on Fish's bed, they dislodged his mattress. Underneath was the knife, the small handsaw, and the meat cleaver. They became frightened and ran out of the apartment. Well, that was pretty smart on their part. Oh, yeah. They were some of the only ones that escaped. Just so we're clear, Mm -hmm. okay... God does not want anybody to harm, mutilate, or abuse children or dogs. Or anything, yeah. Right, any living creature. Correct. So, I don't know where the fuck he's getting this idea. Mm, Somewhere in his fucked up brain. Correct. May 25th, 1928. Fish saw a classified ad in the Sunday edition of the New York World that read, Young man, 18, wishes position in country, Edward Budd, 406 West 15th Street. On May 28th, Fish, now 58, visited the Budd family in Manhattan under the pretense of hiring Edward. 
He later confessed that he had planned to tie Edward up, mutilate him, and leave him to bleed to death. Fish introduced himself as Frank Howard, a farmer in Farmingdale, New York. Promised to hire Edward and his friend Willie and said that he would send for them in a few days. Fish failed to show up, but he sent a telegram to the Bud family apologizing and set a letter date. When Fish returned, he met Edward's younger sister, 10-year-old Grace. He apparently shifted his amorous intentions towards her and quickly made up a story about having to attend his niece's birthday party. He convinced the parents, Delia Flanagan and Albert Bud I, to let Grace accompany him to the party that evening. Subsequently took Grace to an abandoned house that he had previously picked out for the murder of his next victim. And from there, the letter that we said in the beginning was sent. Okay. It ultimately led the police to him. As it should have. Mm Mm-hmm. Please- did they f- I'm sorry, maybe I'm getting ahead. Did they find Grace's body? Nope. So basically he gave himself away with the letter. Yes. Okay. The story concerning Captain Davis and the famine in Hong Kong, however, could never be verified. The part of the letter concerning the murder of Grace, however, was found to be accurate, although it's impossible to confirm whether or not Fish had actually eaten parts of her body. The letter was delivered in an envelope that had a small hexagonal emblem with the letters NYPCBA, representing the New York Private Chauffeurs Benevolent Association. A janitor at the company told the police he had taken some of the stationery home, but left it at his rooming house at 200 East 52nd Street when he moved out. The landlady of the rooming house said that Fish had checked out of that room a few days earlier. Said that Fish's son had sent him money and and he asked her to hold his next check for him. William F. King, the chief investigator for the case, waited outside of the room until Fish returned. Fish agreed to go to the station for questioning. He made no attempt to deny the murder of Grace Budd, saying that he meant to go to the house to kill her brother Edward. Fish said it had never even entered his head to rape the girl, but he later claimed to his attorney that, while kneeling on Grace's chest and strangling her, he did have two involuntary ejaculations. Yeah. This information was used at the trial to make the claim that the kidnapping was sexually motivated, thus avoiding any mention of cannibalism. Well, to some degree, sometimes victims' families yeah. don't want certain information released to the public. Correct. I definitely don't blame them on that one. Right. So now we're going to get into some other crimes that were discovered after his arrest. So as I mentioned before, he had murdered somebody named Francis McDonald. On July 14, 1924, 9-year-old Francis McDonald was reported missing after he failed to return home after playing catch with friends in Port Richmond, Staten Island. A search was organized, and his body was found hanging by a tree in a wooded area near his home. He had been sexually assaulted and then strangled with his own suspenders. According to an autopsy, McDonald had also suffered extensive lacerations to his legs and abdomen, and his left hamstring had been almost entirely stripped of its flesh. Do the, was, was he eating the hamstring? They never confirmed or denied it. Okay. And again, some people don't want that information yeah. released. Fish refused to claim responsibility for this, although he later stated that he intended to castrate the boy, but fled when he heard someone approach. McDonald's friends told the police that he was taken away by an elderly man with a gray mustache. A neighbor also told the police he observed the boy with a similar-looking man walking along a grassy path into the nearby woods. Francis's mother, Anna, said she saw the same man earlier that day, telling reporters 
He came shuffling down the street, mumbling to himself and making queer motions with his hands. I saw his thick gray hair and his drooping gray mustache. Everything about him seemed faded and gray. This description resulted in the mysterious stranger becoming known as the Gray Man. The McDonald murder remained unsolved until the murder of Grace Budd. When several eyewitnesses positively ID'd Fish as the odd stranger seen around Port Richmond on the day of McDonald's disappearance. It was in March 1935, after the conclusion for his trial for the Budd murder and his confession to the killing of Billy Gaffney that he confirmed to investigators that he also raped and murdered McDonald. February 11, 1927, three-year-old Billy Beaton and his 12-year-old brother were playing in the apartment hallway in Brooklyn with four-year-old Billy Gaffney. When the 12-year-old left for his apartment, both the younger boys disappeared. Beaton was later found on the roof of the apartments. When asked what happened to Gaffney, Beaton replied, the boogeyman took him. Gaffney's body was never found. Initially, serial killer Peter Kudlowinski was a suspect. Then, Joseph Meehan, a motorman on the Brooklyn trolley, saw a picture of Fish in a newspaper and ID'd him as the old man whom he saw on February 11, 1927, trying to quiet a little boy sitting with him. The boy was not wearing a jacket, was crying for his mother, and was dragged by the man on and off the trolley. Beaton's description of the boogeyman matched Fish. And the police matched that description with the child of Gaffney. Detectives in the Manhattan Missing Persons Bureau were able to establish that Fish was employed as a house painter by a broker in the real estate company during February 1927, and that on that day of Gaffney's disappearance, he was working at a, lo uh, at a location a few miles from where the boy was abducted. Fish claimed the following in a later letter to his attorney. I brought him to the Riker Avenue dumps. There is a house that stands alone, not far from where I took him. I took the G-boy there. Stripped him naked and tied his hands and feet and gagged him with a piece of dirty rag I picked up out of the dump. Then I burned his clothes, threw his shoes in the dump. Then I walked back and took the trolley to 59th Street at 2 a.m. and walked home from there. The next day, at about 2 p.m., I took tools, a good heavy cat of nine tails, homemade, short handle. Cut one of my belts in half, slit these halves in six strips about eight inches long. I whipped his bear behind till the blood ran from his legs. I then cut off his ears, nose, slit his mouth from ear to ear, gouged out his eyes. He was dead then. I sucked the knife into his belly and held my mouth to his body and drank his blood. I picked up four old potato sacks and gathered a pile of stones. Then I cut him up. I had a grip with me. I put his nose, ears, and a few slices of his belly in the grip. Then I cut him through the middle of his body, just below his belly button. Then through his legs, about two inches below his behind. I put this in my grip with a lot of paper. I cut off the head, feet, arms, hands, and legs below the knee. I then put this in sacks weighed with stones, tied the ends, and threw them into the pools of slimy water you will see along the road going to North Beach. Water is three to four feet deep. They sank at once. I came home with my meat. I had the front of his body I liked best, his monkey and peewees and a nice little fat behind to roast in the oven and eat. I made a stew out of his ears, nose, and pieces of his face and belly. I put onions, carrots, turnips, celery, salt, and pepper. It was good. Then I split the cheeks of his behind open, cut off his monkey and peewees, and washed them first. I put strips of bacon on each cheek of his behind and put it in the oven. Then I picked four onions, and when the meat had roasted about one-fourth of an hour, I poured about a pint of water over it for gravy and put in the onions. At frequent intervals, I basted his behind with a wooden spoon. 
so the meat would be nice and juicy. In about two hours, it was nice and brown cooked through. I never ate any roast turkey that tasted half as good as his sweet little behind did. Jesus fucking Christ. I ate every bit of the meat in about four days. His little monkey was as sweet as a nut, but his peewees I could not chew. Oh my I God. threw them in the toilet. What a fucking disgusting crackhead. This, this, this man. This man. Gaffney's mother Elizabeth visited Fish and Sing Sing, accompanied by Detective King and two other men. She wanted to ask him about her son's death, but Fish refused to speak to her. He began to weep and asked to be left alone. After two hours of asking him questions through his lawyer, James Dempsey, Mrs. Gaffney gave up. She remained unconvinced that Fish was her son's killer up until her death. Well, I mean, I don't blame her. No. Especially if that horrific letter, I would not want to live with the knowledge that that Mm -hmm. happened to my child. Absolutely not. No. The trial for Grace Budd's murder began on March 11, 1935. The judge was Frederick P. Close. Prosecuting attorney was Albert F. Gaff, uh, Gallagher. And defense counsel was James Dempsey. The trial lasted 10 days. Fish pleaded insanity and claimed to have heard voices from God telling him to kill children. Several psychiatrists testified about Fish's sexual fetishes, which included sadism, masochism, phlegation, whipping, exhibitionism, voyeurism, pyrrhicism, uh, sexual interest in penetrating the skin of another person, cannibalism, chorophagia, which is drinking urine, urophilia, which is eating feces, feces, uh, hematophilia, vampire lifestyle or blood drinking, pedophilia, necrophilia, and infubulation, or the ritual removal of the external female genitalia and the suturing of the vulva. So this is what he's been charged with. No, this is what his sexual fetishes are. Okay. Jesus. That's a much worse list. <laughs> Dempsey, in his uh, summation, noted that Fish was a psych- psychiatric phenomenon and that nowhere in legal or medical records was there another individual who possessed so many sexual abnormalities. Defense's chief expert witness was Frederick Wortham, a psychiatrist with an emphasis on child development who conducted psychiatric examinations for the New York criminal courts. During two days of testimony, Wortham explained that Fish's obsession with religion and specifically his preoccupation with the biblical story of Abraham and Isaac. Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 24. Abraham and Isaac? Mm-hmm. Abraham was told by God to sacrifice his child. Which he didn't... He went to go do and then God stopped him or something. As a, as a, as a testimony of his faith in God. Correct. Said that Fish believed that similarly sacrificing, a boy would be penance for his own sins, and that even if the act itself was wrong, angels would prevent it if God did not approve. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Fish attempted the sacrifice once before, but it was thwarted when a car drove past. Edward Budd was the next intended victim, but he turned out to be larger than expected, so he settled on Grace. Although Grace was female, it is believed that Fish perceived her as a boy. Meaning? Because he was only supposed to sacrifice boys. Per the... For what supposedly God told him. Right, okay. Were them... So, but I mean, basically, he's like, Edward will probably beat my ass, so I'm going to go with the... Yeah, this 18-year-old's too big, so I'm going to go after the 10-year-old. Correct. Wortham then detailed Fish's cannibalism, which in his mind he associated with communion. 
What? The look on your the face. The bread of my body? What the fuck? Yeah, the bread's the body, but there's no bread, so just eat the body. <laughs> did Just out of curiosity, maybe you don't know this answer, the brother Edward, did he ever feel like, I mean, it's not his fault. Yeah. But the letter that he had, or the advertisement, rather, the advertisement that he put out there mm-hmm. was what brought this monster into their lives. Correct. Did I mean, did he ever, I mean, he didn't, like, kill himself in the future or anything like that? Not right? from what I could read. Okay. Again, it's not his fault. No, absolutely not. The last question Dempsey asked for them was 15,000 words long, detailed Fish's life, and ended with asking how the or asking the doctor how he considered his mental condition based on this. Wortham simply answered, "He is insane." Uh, Understatement of the year. Correct. That's lowballing this shit. Mm-hmm. Gallagher cross-examined Wortham on whether Fish knew the difference between right and wrong. That would be a yes because he raised children. Wortham responded that he did know but that it was a perverted knowledge based on his opinions of sin, atonement, and religion, and thus was an insane knowledge. No. No. Defense called two more psychiatrists to support Wortham's findings. First of the four rebuttal witnesses was Means Gregory, a former manager of the Bellevere Hospital where Fish was treated during 1930. By treated, we mean nothing happened. Yeah, pretty much. Testified that Fish was abnormal, but sane. No. Mm-mm. Under cross-examination, Dempsey asked if chronophilia, urophilia, and pedophilia were indicated a sane or insane person. Gregory replied that such a person was not mentally sick, and that those were common perversions that were socially perfectly alright. No. And that Fish was no different from millions of other people. Fuck no. Some very prominent and successful people who had the very Jesus same perversions. This is his version of saying, I didn't do my fucking job right. I let this fucking guy go. Correct. And now I'm going to say what he's got is perfectly okay. It's socially acceptable. Fucking no. Totally socially acceptable to eat poo and drink urine. This, this... I- <laughs> This doctor's part of the fucking problem. Correct. The next witness was the resident physician at the Tombs, or the Manhattan Detention Complex, Perry Lichtenstein. Dempsey objected to a doctor with no training in psychiatry testifying on the issue of sanity. Oh, Jesus. But Justice Close overruled on the basis that the jury could decide what weight to give a prison doctor. Okay. I mean, like, you know... Obviously, this man deserves to be executed. There ain't no doubt about it. Right. But he did not have a fair trial. I'll give him that. But you know what? I, and this is the, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes that's how it needs to go. I get that. To stop this. Oh, absolutely. But I'm just saying, everybody deserves a right to a fair trial. And I mean, I'm pretty sure even if you had a fair trial, this dude would have been executed anyway. Well. But... Not with doctors like that running uh-huh. around. When asked whether Fish's causing himself pain indicated a mental condition, Lechenstein replied, that is not masochism, as he was only punishing himself to get sexual gratification. It's the same I, thing. I was just going to say, what's the definition? I'm pretty sure masochism is getting sexual gratification from pain. Okay. Or inflicting pain. One or the other. The next witness, 
Charles Lambert testified that coraphilia was a common practice and that religious cannibalism may be psych- psychopathic, but was a matter of taste and not evidence Fucking of a psychosis. No. We don't have this scenario in our society for a reason, folks. And I love the I love the fact that he worded that cannibalism was a matter of taste. Jesus, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> it's a matter of criminal criminal intent. Correct. The last defense witness was Mary Nicholas, Fish's 17-year-old stepdaughter. She described how Fish taught her and her brothers and sisters several games involving overtones of masochism and child molestation. Yeah. So he molested his own stepdaughter? No, he played games that had overtones okay. of it. None of the jurors doubted that Fish was insane, but ultimately, as one later explained, they felt he should be executed anyway. Yes! Yes! I would have sat his ass down and said, which one is the switch? I'm going to do it right in front of him. Exactly. They found him to be sane, and the judge sentenced Fish to death by electrocution. Thank you. (laughs) Fucking finally some justice. Fish arrived at prison in March 1935 and was executed on January 16th, 1936 in the electric chair at Sing Sing Prison. Bye, Felicia. (laughs) He entered the chamber at 11.06 p.m. and was pronounced dead three minutes later. He's buried in the Sing Sing Prison Cemetery. That was being very gracious. Oh, yeah. Fish is said to have helped the executioner to position the electrodes on his body. Okay. Oh, he was like, here, let's kill me together, friend. Let's do this. Fuck you. His last words were reportedly, I don't even know why I am here. Okay. According to one witness present, it took two jolts before Fish died, creating the rumor that the apparatus was short-circuited by the needles that Fish had inserted into his body. No. No. These rumors were later regarded as untrue, as Fish reportedly died in the same fashion and time frame as others in the electric chair. At a meeting with reporters after the execution, Dempsey revealed that he was in possession of his client's final statement. This amounted to several pages of handwritten notes in red ink, that Fish had apparently pinned in the hours just prior to his death. He should have just burned that shit. When pressed by the assembled journalists to reveal the document's contents, Dempsey refused, simply stating, I will never show it to anyone. It was the most filthy string of obscenities that I have ever read. And he's a public defender. Correct. So he knows what he's talking about. Yep. And he, I believe his family still owns that document to this day. Keep it. Don't share. Don't share. He doesn't deserve that notoriety. He doesn't, but I kind of want to read it. You don't get the last say, asshole. Uh, I know, but I want to know what went on in his head. Oh, we know what went on in his head. He did it. He well, did I know, but... Atro- these atrocities, these inhumane atrocities, I mean... I just, I, I, I want to know what made his brain tick. I, just, I think he was so badly sexually abused. Mm-hmm. Not uh, that there's not, not an excuse, excuse, but you know it. It does make you do some that put him on that path. Oh, absolutely. But again, there are a lot of people who get sexually abused, mm-hmm. and they don't do these horrific things. Absolutely. Okay, <laughs> if you're still with us, <laughs> this fucking it's not even a rabbit hole. It's like a demon hell portal. Thanks for letting me do my favorite guy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that is what we have for you tonight on to business. 
Facebook, 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 where the Dark Corners are, has a Facebook page. So if you like to see some creepy things, share some creepy things, I might post a picture of some Mr. Fish all up in there later. Go ahead and drop us a request onto that Facebook page. Right, send us requests for, uh, <laughs> you know, to be part of it. But in the meantime, if you have a, another serial killer or a topic you would like Sierra to cover, send us a request at where the dark corners are at gmail.com. Final thoughts? I love fish. I just, I, so it's, he's okay. just, he's so crazy. That's it. <laughs> this, I don't even think the word, the word crazy is a compliment to this sick fuck. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Okay. All right, so until next time, please remember, only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why we hope to meet you where the dark corners are.